sing a song over me when I forget the words you call me child of the king when I forget my worth you Somehow you still want me You make me feel like your favorite I am the one you adore Mercy, draw me in closer You beckon me to come I'm here to rest on you
Represented here today, God, you know every need, you know every situation, you know every circumstance. And Lord, we lean on you and not on ourselves. God, we lean on your understanding, your will, that you would illuminate our path, oh God. And we would trust you with every need, everything small, everything great. God, for you provided the way, the way into every promise, every need, God, will make made complete in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we lean into you, oh God, this morning and know it's going to be okay. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, where I said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. That's a prophetic word from the Lord this morning. It's going to be okay. Amen. Thank you, team. I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, about something on my heart, uh, very heavy uh, for the last month. I've been waiting for the moment to uh, deliver, I uh, think, what God wants to speak into our church, and I uh, think for the church in this day and age. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I want to talk to you about that God has you covered. He is our dwelling place. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like to be an adult, and I wish I could not be an adult anymore. Anybody else? You say, man, adulting is overrated sometimes, right? And don't you miss those days? Uh, I've got two little girls. You know, don't you miss those days for a Saturday morning? You just get up, and you're in your PJs, and you go in, and you turn on your favorite Saturday morning cartoon, and mom and dad bring you your favorite bowl of marshmallow-filled, sugary sweetness, and you just chillax, man. You don't care. You have no care in the world. Uh, you, you, you rely in that, that innocent age. We all relied on our guardians, our parents, maybe our grandparents, uh, to plan our day. Uh, we relied on them to provide our meals. We relied on them to care for our future. And that childlike faith uh, that that involves having someone to lean on who handles our schedule and even makes our lunches, right? Uh, you know, the Christian life is not unlike that. Jesus said, unless we become as little children, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We won't live in his household. And that is that we have childlike faith to trust in his supply, that he's a good father who has a good covering over us. Uh, He's someone to lean on. He's someone that will plan our future. He's even someone that will provide your lunch. Uh, And that's our good Lord and Father. But, you know, that faith often takes us into uncomfortable places. And us, having become adults and having become what we interpret as self-sufficient, have a self-will, we have a self-image, we have a self-esteem, we have all this self-stuff. 
uh, that fact, uh, the fact is he often purposefully takes us into uncomfortable places that require faith so that we will continually have to lean on him and trust in his covering. But along the way, we are reminded in Scripture every step of the way that wherever we go, we have a home, we have a covering in the Lord. Look at our life this morning. I want us just to examine ourselves and say, God, do are there areas of my life, areas of my understanding where I'm failing to trust in you? Uh, I'm a control freak by nature. I'm a planner. I'm a strategizer. I'm an organizer. And to surrender control is probably one of the hardest things uh, for me personally to do. And I think about even at large, us as adults, we, we sometimes feel we need our worldly comforts to feel secure in life, right? We got to have that house, and I want to get that house paid for, and I want to make sure we're living in the right neighborhood, and I want to make sure my bank account has enough in it so we can get by and get through, and I think about all the extra supplies we need. I know at my house, we often go out of power, so I have a generator, and I have an extra gas tank, and I have an extra gas tank on top of that, and I've got extra bottles of water, and, and then we Think about, well, we need to go to the store tonight just in case we run out of milk tomorrow. And we're always preparing for things. We're always planning things or trying to make sure we have enough provision uh, to get through our day, our week. Or we think about the future of our life, even retirement plans and contingency plans, all to feel more secure. And I think even about the modern church, and the modern church has built a lot of things. We, we do uh, projectors and slideshows, and we do all this wonderful equipment. We build nice big buildings. We, we get popular pastors. We do all this stuff to, to feel like we're building something, planning for our future. We've got tons of church growth strategies that will multiply churches and build churches and plant churches. And all of that behind all of that, I want to ask ourselves is, where is our security? Where's your home? What are you trusting in? And who do you rely on? Look with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I want to talk to you about a tent, a tabernacle, and a time to come. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, a tent. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Look at that. When he was called, he obeyed. By going out to a place he was to receive for inheritance, the Lord said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The whole world's going to be blessed by you. And he knew probably in that moment by revelation that uh, Jesus Christ was going to be in his lineage and, and all that would happen. And he went out not knowing, though, where he was going. By faith, he lived in an, as an alien, a foreigner in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, where he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want you to think about this man. I want you to really just your very best to try to put yourself in his shoes. Think about that God himself reveals uh, who he is to you. 
And he says, I want to take you to somewhere you've never been before. But if you trust me, I'll get you there. And when you get there, you are going to be blessed beyond measure. Your children, your grandchildren, your children's children is going to be blessed. I will prosper you. I will take care of you. I will protect you. Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. The blessing and the protection of God is just going to flow off of you. That's how blessed you're going to be. And so immediately he packs his bags, packs his family up, and leaves not knowing how to get there, not knowing where he was going, having, having never seen the destination, not knowing anyone else who'd ever been there before. And then he gets there, says he got to the land of promise, and he lived like a stranger. You know, sometimes God takes us to promises that are yet unfulfilled, and, and he's living in this land of promise, and he never, ever builds a house he never buys an estate. The closest thing he gets to property is the finally when his wife dies. The only property he gets is to bury his wife. And in that moment, no doubt he's thinking, but God, when God, you said, Lord, you would bless me. You said you would make me a kingdom, a nation. But Lord, I don't even have a, a backyard. I don't have a front fence. Where's the white picket fence? Where's the house? If we're going to be a nation, shouldn't we have a castle and a kingdom? Shouldn't we have property and guards and sentries and flagpoles? And, and shouldn't we have a moat or something around this place? But we are living like farmers, like shepherds, like peasants. And Lord, I'm blessed though. But God, when? When? When will I see your promise? How, Lord, is it going to come to pass And he lived in the land of promise as a nomad, an impermeant person, a transient. But as impermanent as his life was, as insecure as his life was, his security was in the word of God. As impermanent and as movable and as fluid as his faith was, he never had a secure place to live. His faith was per- portable. So was his house. So was his dwelling. His dwelling, his tent was portable, but his covering along the way was God. I, a uh, few weeks ago, woke up in, in the morning, and the first thing God said to me that morning, he said, Heath, just as Abraham dwelt in the land of promise in tents, in tents, He dwelt in the land of promise in tents. It seemed like, God, this isn't, this can't be. This can't be what you're taking us to. This can't be what you're taking us through. But in the land of promise, he had the promise and it was in nothing else. It was not in anyone. It was not anything. It was not any person or object or property. It says that he was looking for something that only God could build in his life. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, we think about the blessings of God and we're looking for so many material things. God, you said my job would work out differently than this. God, you said my family would work out differently than this. God, I don't see the house. I don't see the car. I don't see the business. God, I don't see the health care plan that I thought would occur. God, I don't see how this is going to navigate. But he says that his security was in something that he could not build with his hands but that only God could build with his. Amen? The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith because he's a rewarder of those who are diligently or earnestly 
seeking him. Abraham never in that moment ever fixed his heart on a permanent dwelling, but on a heavenly home. And in this life, you're going to go through many impermanent places. Some of you are going to go through impermanent jobs. Some of us may lose our jobs. Some of us are going to go through impermanent locations where we live. We may live in one state and then the next. All of it's impermanent. You're going to have children for a little while. They're going to go out into the world. They're going to be impermanent in your household. There might be money that comes into your hand for a season and is gone again for the next. There are a lot of impermanent things in this world. And even in our physical bodies, the Bible tells us these are fleshly, impermanent temples. Fleshly, this, is, this body is impermanent. I, I can't do what I once could do in my 18-year-old body and then my 30, and I, Lord, help me when I get to 40 and 50 or whatever, right? But it's impermanent. The things I thought I was good at or before or could do or could see, uh, we lose it. It's impermanent. But there is one thing that is always permanent. That's the Lord and His Word. Amen? Abraham was in a tent, And along the way, his covering, though, was God. He was in an impermanent tent, but he had a permanent covering, which was the Lord. You know that word tent, it actually means something. It means tabernacle. It actually, if you want to look at this word in the Hebrew, it says this. It says, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tabernacles. The word uh, in the Hebrew is mishkan, is tabernacle. Mishkan. And tabernacle means a place of dwelling or to dwell, a dwelling place, a habitation or an abode, something where there is something living inside of it. And it's really the word tabernacle means tent. Uh, And I want to talk to you about Exodus 25, verse 8. So we have Abraham living in a tent, a tabernacle. And as he lived in an impermanent tabernacle, the Lord was his covering and his eyes in an impermanent situation were on a permanent covering of the Lord. Then we fast forward to another season in Israel's history. In Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, Let them construct a sanctuary, which means holy place, a holy place of dwelling for me, that I may dwell among them. Or another way it could say, Let them construct a holy place for me, that I may tabernacle among them. The Lord desired to dwell or tabernacle among his people. If you go back even to the garden, what did God want to do? He wanted to walk in the cool of the breeze with Adam and Eve. He wanted to dwell among people, to be with them. And then to Abraham, even Abraham is trusting in a dwelling or a covering, a tabernacle of the Lord in a permanent situation. And we fast forward to the law when God gives it. And he says, guys, I know that sin has taken over the world and you can't get closer to me. But my desire as a good father is to dwell among you. And so what does he do? He tells Moses to build a tent, a tent of meeting, a tabernacle, because he says, the only way you can get closer to me is by uh, dealing with this sin. And I'm a holy God, but if I came down in my full holiness, you would all die in your sin. But my heart is to be in your midst. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take this image of heaven An image of heaven, Moses, and I want you to build this tabernacle, this tent. And Moses would build this tabernacle, and it would be this uh, fenced-off area, rectangular fenced-off area, made in exactly how the Lord would have it. And inside that big, they would make a courtyard, fenced it in. And there would be a one-way, only one way into that place. 
Uh, and they would come in and there would be a bronze altar on which sacrifice would be made that you had to make a sacrifice before you could get into that place. And then there would be a wash basin where the priests would have to wash their hands, symbolic of washing the purity uh, in the Holy Spirit, cleansing of sin. And then there would be the tent, this tabernacle, this rectangular tent perfectly made. And in that front room, a holy place what it would be called. The front room of that tabernacle would be a holy place. And in there, there would be a table of showbread uh, where they would remember that God was the one who provided their needs, their food. He was the one that made the food at their table. He was the one that gave them cereal on Saturday morning. He's the one. And they would put 12 loaves of bread, reminding every day, breaking fresh bread, baking fresh bread, putting that out there, overlaid in gold, beautiful things and all that. Uh, And then on the other side would be a lampstand. And there would be no light in this holy place, but the light of God, the light of the lamp. And seven, you know, if you've seen a menorah, seven branch candlesticks with uh, olive, uh, olive blossoms or almond blossoms. And, and then there would be a, uh, in front of this big curtain, this veil, there would be an altar of incense. And that altar of incense would symbolize the prayers that would go over the curtain into the holy, holy place, the most holy place. And you've probably seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and all this kind of stuff. So you kind of have an idea what the Ark of the Covenant would look like. And behind that curtain existed this box, a very small box, actually, with angels on top of it. And the lid of that box was called the mercy seat on which they would atone for the sins of the people just once a year. And on that mercy seat, on that mercy seat, would there be no light in this room but the light of the Lord. It would be his Shekinah tangible glory. And on top of that mercy seat, that's where God would speak to his people and deal with their sin. And as, as if you were in Israel that day during this time, uh, by day you would see a pillar of cloud coming up from this tabernacle all the way into the sky like a big tornado, a big cone. And by night you would see a cone of fire coming down from heaven on top of this place. You knew God was in the midst of the camp, and he would be in the center of all 12 tribes of Israel, right in the center. And this tabernacle, it was veiled, while inside it was all gold and pure and and made of the most holy, blessed things by skilled artisans. It had four coverings. These four coverings... Uh, represented different levels. And I'll just tell you what they were real quick. It says that uh, the first one inside the tent was made of fine linen and it had angels or cherubim needled in purple and blue and scarlet. Then on top of that was 12 curtains of black goat's hair. And then on top of that was ram skins dyed red. And the last covering, which was the outside covering for the weather, was made of badger or seal skin. And what that simply is, if you were to come and and be in that day and age, you wouldn't think much of this tabernacle. On the outside, it looked like a big badger skin tent. But on the inside, it was holy, holy, holy. And God did all of this for a few reasons. Number one, he wanted to dwell among his people, but he was holy. It had to be veiled and covered. While on the outside, it seemed humble. On the inside, it dwelt the power of the majesty of heaven. And at any moment, should the a flame at night disappear, or any moment, should the pillar of cloud in the day disappear, the priest knew how to pack this thing up on a moment's notice. And this place, this tent, was portable. That's very important. God wanted to go where his people were. God wanted to be 
in the midst of his people. He wanted to be among them. And despite all their wonderings and all the, it was their sin that caused them to have to wonder in this wilderness for 40 years. But God was so merciful. He was so gracious, even though he was so holy and they couldn't come near him. He was yet so gracious, so longing to dwell, to tabernacle among his people. He said, even in your rebellion, even in your mistakes, even when you mess up, I want to be about your life. Even though 40 years you will spend wandering because of your rebellion, I'm determined to be in the midst of you. I'm determined to have my presence. And, and, if, and if it's got to be veiled, then so be it. But I long to be with you. I'm going to lead you every step of the way. I'll go before you. I'll fight your battles. If you'll just trust in me by faith, if you'll just rely on me, remember every day, I'm the one that provides the true bread that you need. Remember every day, I'm the one that provides the true light that you need. Remember every day that I'm atoning for your sin, even when you mess up. If you'll just come to me, I will go with you. He wanted to tabernacle among his people. Even though they struggled to go back to Egypt, every step of every day, 40 places in 40 years, they were to follow God by faith. And even Israel, they never camped out in a permanent place. They dwelt in tents, waiting for the land of promise, trusting God every single day for water, for meat, for bread, for protection, for light at night, for covering a cloud covering of of the beating desert sun by day. And he was always in the midst, dwelling among them. That's a good God. It really is. He's a good God. And Moses wrote this in Psalms 91 at the end of this. He says, Lord, you have been our tabernacling place. God, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. God, you wanted to be in the midst of us. God, you were our tent. In the midst of a hot, scary desert, God, you were our covering. Lord, even when I made a mistake and messed up, God, you were our covering. And we were really dwelling in you. We were inside of the covering of cloud, the covering of fire. We were always underneath your wings. We were dwelling in you. God, not that you were, we, you were our dwelling, but God, that we saw you and we were inside of you. That's what Moses got out of that. Now look, go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. What's your security? Whom do you dwell? Where do you find your comfort? In money, in buildings, in people, in plans. Because Moses and Abraham had to learn it this way, that God is our dwelling place. And see, fast forward, even though Israel had the best thing, man, can you imagine seeing fire at night and cloud by day and all this stuff and all the things that they, Moses raising his hands and God stopping the sun and, and parting a Red Sea and manna and quail and all this. And yet Israel still, because God was not in their hearts, dealt with the issue of sin, and God struggled to be among them, and they struggled to be in him. And so Jesus had to deal with the issue of sin. 
God had to deal with the issue of sin by sending his son. Even Solomon knew. And after Solomon built this, what seemed to be a permanent dwelling of God, the temple, he said in 2 Chronicles 6.18, But God will indeed, will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest cannot contain you, O God. How much less can this house, this temple which I have built, even a permanent place, wasn't enough. Even a building, most ornate, beautiful building, maybe perhaps ever made in the world, could not, Solomon said, contain God. God needed to build his own dwelling place. So John comes along, and the, uh, the, the apostle John writes, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And what does he say in verse 14? He says, in that Word, it became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. That word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth. John, listen to me. This is something you may have missed reading this book over and over again or quoting these verses. John is looking back to this moment where Moses and them understood what a dwelling place was. He said that the glory of heaven came down, and it wasn't veiled in a tent anymore, but it was veiled in frail humanity. And the glory that had been coming down by cloud and by fire now came down in a man. And we got to see God for the first time in the flesh. He wanted to be in the middle of what we were doing. Even though we were in the wilderness of sin, and we seemed to have been forgotten by Him and rejected and forsaken, God wanted to tabernacle. And the word itself tabernacled among men. Before we could only go into that holy place once a year. But now that holy place had come to us. And God would send his son to deal with the issues of sin. He would lay his own life on that brazen altar. He would wash us again in the water of the Holy Spirit. He would be the bread of life that had to be baked every day. He would be the light that would illuminate the holy place of God. He would be the one who reigned on the mercy seat and made intercession with the altar of incense before us. He would fulfill the tabernacle. For you and I to come boldly in to the presence of God. And so Jesus tabernacled among the world. God desired to dwell. And so through the blood of Jesus cleansing us of sin, Paul says the Holy Spirit now has been poured out in your heart. 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know now that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God tabernacles in you. That now the Spirit of God, which hovered over the waters, the Spirit of God that spoke by the prophets, the Spirit of God that came down in fire, the Spirit of God that filled and moved Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Spirit of God that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, now tabernacles, listen, not in a tent, not in a temple, not even in Jesus alone anymore, but the Spirit of God now tabernacles in you. 
in you. Do you know how big of a deal, earth-shattering, world-changing, universe-creating, that is phenomenal. It's phenomenal that the Spirit of God tabernacles in you. You see, the New Testament believer is a building dedicated to the presence of God. The church is not a building. You are. The church is not a building. You are. And how often do we miss this? So one of the things I want to change in my vocabulary is say, uh, man, I'm ready to have church. You can't have church. You are church. All right. Or I want to go to church. You can't go to church. You are the church. Or let's say, let's build a church. You can't build a building and call it a church because you are the church. The only way we can build the church is get somebody who doesn't know Jesus, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and then they'll be the church. And you'll be the church, and I'll be the church. It is not in wood and brick or in steel. We, God's people, anywhere, any person, the Holy Spirit resides is God's tabernacle. Paul even says that you are all bricks and mortar. You are living stones. Peter says you are living stones, a dwelling place. You are all together being built up, Paul says, to a dwelling place of God. You are all a living being. You are all the living organism. God did not want man to build a tent. He did not want man to build a temple. But through his son, he would build a people a dwelling place that he thought, think about it, the heavens could host him. The angels can sing about him. The heaven, the stars in the sky can surround him. Emerald rainbows and seas of glass and crystal, streets of gold. And he says, you know what? The place I really want to hang out is in you and in you and in you. God has desired to dwell among Man, and I think about what David said. God, what are we? What is man that you would be mindful of me? God loves you. Man, he loves you. And I think this morning he wants you to understand it's not about coming to church. It's about being the church. It's not about building a building or a better program or a good pastor. It's not about securing your life goals of a 401k and planning what you're going to eat this week and where I'm going to live and what I'm going to do. Just be the dwelling place of God. He's a good father. He provides your lunch. He provides your future. If you'll just let him plan your schedules, if you'll just let him work out your life's goals and your life's needs, if you'll just surrender to him and let him do what only he can do, Abraham dwelt in tents in the land of promise and knew God was secure, seated on his throne. And no matter what I go through in this world and whatever I lack or whatever I need or whatever suffering I must go through, I still go through it by faith, knowing that I have a covering that is bigger than any covering. And if the Spirit of the Lord dwells in me, even if I should take my last breath and suffering and poverty, that the Spirit of God who lives in me, if he raised Jesus up from the dead, he's going to give life to my mortal body, and I'm going to be seeing God face to face. Nothing else matters. You see, there's a time to come. There is a, a tabernacle and a tent. 
But like Abraham, we're all still yet looking for a future dwelling. Look in Revelation 21, verse 4, before we close. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There was no longer any sea, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, guess what? Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is among men, and he will tabernacle or dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will dwell among them. Among them, he'll wipe every tear from their eye. There'll no longer be any death, there'll no longer any mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the first things have passed away. There's coming a day, even though I have Jesus in my heart and the Holy Spirit is here and I can sense and, 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 and feel the glory of God, there's coming a day, church, if we will just hold on, keep dwelling by faith in the Holy Spirit, tabernacling with God, there's coming a day where the fullness of His glory is going to descend on this earth and we will be with God in the relationship He has designed us to be for all eternity. There will be no more separation of sin. This old sinful body will be gone and we will dwell in the midst of the Lord forever. Let me give you five real quick things I want you to take home with me, take home with you today about how you can be a dwelling place of God. Number one is this. You've got to determine in your heart to be a dwelling. That is a holy habitation. That place was holy. It was made a certain way. And every detail of that tabernacle mattered. Listen to me, young people. Every detail of your life matters to God. Every detail of your life. You are to be a holy vessel for the Lord, set apart, consecrated just for his dwelling place. Number two is this. You must be movable. He was in a, he sent Abraham to a place. He was a, tra- a stranger, a nomad. He sent Israel to the wilderness. They were to be portable when the fire left or the cloud left. They were to follow him by faith through every unknown place. In church, you need to be a church on the move. You're a church at the grocery store. You're a church at Walmart. You're a church in your backyard. We're going to be a church tonight in Bela Community at a hayride. We're going to be the same church. I don't care if we have a building, don't have a building, where we meet, if it's in a tent on a parking lot somewhere, you and I are the church. It doesn't, we don't need bricks and stones and mortars. If y'all show up in my living room, we are the church. And so wherever you go, take the glory of God with you. People should not be coming to a building to look for God. They should find him in you. Amen? That's a good amening spot right there. It's not about coming to hear this place or coming to a high school or a church building. It's finding God in you. Because wherever you are, God is. Number three, be humble. The tabernacle was covered in badger skin. It was humble. God came down humbly. He came down veiled. Jesus himself, the glory of heaven, came down veiled in frail humanity. And Paul says, let this mind that was in Christ now be in you, that he humbled himself to make himself of no reputation, even to die as a criminal, as a traitor, as a sinner. And then God's going to exalt him and every knee is going to bow. So you and I are to be humble. What are we veiled in? We are veiled in the fruitfulness of Christ's character, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. The world's not going to look at us and think, wow, they're so powerful. They're so awesome. No, because it's veiled in humility. We're not to look like something awesome to the worldly standards. We're not the wealthiest. We're not the most powerful. We might be the most educated. The world would look at us and say, oh, they're nothing. What can that little group of people do? But that little group, 120 fishermen and people conquered the known world because why? Inside that tabernacle was the glory of radiating God. 
We're humble, but inside we have holiness. Number four, be a worshiper. God's mercy seat, his altar, his throne was at the center of the camp. If you want to be a dwelling place, God's throne has got to be at the center of your heart. That's where Jesus is king. He's got to be king at the center of your life. And then from the beginning, his authority, he sets the order. He sets the boundary. He says where to go, what to do. Pastor Heath doesn't make the decisions for this church. I hope pastor, uh, God doesn't make, uh, sorry, husband, you don't make the decisions for your family without asking God first. Ladies, you don't make the decisions for your children without asking God First, he's king, he's authority, he's supreme, he's sovereign. How I spend my money should first go to God. Where I build my house should first go to God. What truck I buy and how much should first go to God. He is king. He's king. And lastly is this, be faithful. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. He says if you live in the spirit and the Holy Spirit's living in you, walk in him. Galatians 5, if you live in the Spirit, the Spirit's in you. Walk in the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. If the cloud parts up and he starts moving, follow the Spirit. If he says, change this job, change that job. If he says, go to that church, go to that church. If he says, give that money, give that money. If he says, do this, do this. It's an easy life. Just be like a child again. Get up on Saturday morning and say, God, what do you want to do today? How are we going to spend our day today, God? I don't have to have this figured out. I'm just following the Spirit. Worship team, would you come? Be His dwelling, be movable, be humble, be a worshiper, be faithful. God wants to dwell in the midst of your life. Maybe you feel like today you've made mistakes. You've gone wayward. You've got places you've been. Maybe you feel empty on the inside. Maybe you're a planner. You need to know the answers of the future, and you need to have a, God, i got to have a clear word, God. And he will. He'll tell you. Sometimes he don't tell you until you need to know, but he will tell you. Just walk by faith and say, Lord, I want to be a dwelling place. And just for our church sanctuary, I believe that is God's word in this crazy season that we're in. God has just been reminding me over and over and over again. Heath, Abraham dwelt in tents exactly where I wanted him. He was exactly where and how I wanted him, living in my promise. But he never saw it in the way he thought he would. It was a tent. So he would rely on me. Because if I got him there and said, Abraham, build the castle, do this, do this, it would have been Abraham's thing. Abraham would have made himself great. But as such, he had to rely on God. Church, we've got to rely on the Lord. He's our covering. He's our dwelling place. We're the church no matter where we are. Because God is our tabernacle. Amen? Would you stand all across this place?